morning. Good morning. All right. Excited to be here with you this morning. We had a little bit of a late, kind of, I think we came in a little bit later as a crew uh, today, me included, uh, but yet on time and, and uh, excited. So, Barney, we're excited to have you uh, lead us today. So, thank we'll you. We'll see. We'll see, yeah. I said we were excited now. So, uh, but we're, we're, we're good. We're good. So, thank you so much. A uh, couple of, couple of quick reminders. Uh, first one is, who's the overachiever in the crowd that's, uh, gotten the, uh, Mother's Day card and the, uh, flowers ordered already? Kenny Trigg, you're, uh, you, uh, you know, I'm surprised you're not sitting in the front row up yet. You know? So. It's not Saturday yet. That's why I said the overachiever, right? So. I did, I did try to go to Hallmark last night, but it was, a, it was closed, so. But I'm excited and uh, grateful for all the moms. You know, when I a lot of times I think when I think about RUMC and you know we just have so many moms who give so much here at this church and do so many good things um, uh, to support all the ministry that's done done here. And uh, I really am I really am very grateful for them in all seriousness. The second thing is, does anybody know what today is? Cinco de Mayo. It is Cinco de Mayo. That's not where I was going, Kenny. But Kenny was wondering, asked me earlier why there wasn't margaritas served with breakfast this morning. National Day of Prayer. So today is actually the 65th annual National Day of Prayer. Um, and the theme for this year's prayer is Wake Up America. Wake up, America! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yo, yo, wake up, America! Yeah, we all need to wake up, Tom. Um, and what it is is it's emphasizing the need for individuals, corporate and individually, to return to the God of God of our fathers in reverence for His holy name. To further highlight the theme for this year, the chosen verse is Isaiah fifty-eight one a. It says, "Shout it aloud! Do not hold back! Raise your voice!" Like a trumpet. So for the uh, for the observances today, Dr. Tony Evans, who's the uh, 2016 honorary chairman, wrote a special prayer. It's actually it will be uh, simultaneously read throughout the nation at noon. Um, I'm going to be at a business lunch at noon, and I'm sure a lot of other people have some other things. So one of the things I thought we would do is is I would just open this up by by uh, quickly um, or by sharing this uh, prayer this morning with you. So if you would join me in prayer, I'd appreciate it. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today as a humble people desperate for your supernatural intervention on behalf of our beloved nation. First, we thank you for all the blessings you have bestowed on our land. Blessings that have allowed us to bring so much good and benefit to not only our own citizens, but also to the rest of the world. Excuse me. The very ideals upon which this country was founded were based on biblical truths, no matter how some try to rewrite history to deny that very fact today. This is why our hearts are so broken over how you continue to be marginalized and dismissed by both our people and our institutions. We are also saddened by the fact that your people have contributed greatly to the spiritual apathy that now engulfs us. Our satisfaction in remaining religious without being fully committed to living out the truths of your word has caused us to become co-conspirators with the forces of evil that are destroying us as a society. It is for this reason that we personally and collectively repent of our carnality and recommit ourselves to becoming visible 
and verbal disciples of Jesus Christ. Enable us by your spirit to no longer be secret agent Christians, but rather to publicly declare and live out your truth in a spirit of love so that you feel welcome in our country once again. Thank you for your promise to hear our prayers when we call to you with hearts of repentance and obedience, which is how we are appealing to you today, Father. On behalf of your church, we affirm afresh the priority you are to us, that you would fill every dimension of our lives as we seek to bring you glory through the advancement of your kingdom in our personal lives, our family lives, and in the lives of our churches and our government leaders. We confidently invite heaven's intervention into the, all the affairs of our nation, and we praise you in advance for your answer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate I appreciate that. <clears throat> well, I'm excited. I mentioned earlier, um, I'm excited to have Barney join us today. Barney will be leading us. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to learn a lot about Barney, uh, learn more about Barney today. Let's wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons why is, and one of the reasons I asked Barney uh, to share with us is I serve in a number of areas in the church, and it seemed there, and I, when I hadn't, I hadn't yet met Barney or I met him for the first time. There would be things that would come up. And the answer would be, oh, Barney's on that. <laughs> yep, Barney's taking care of that. Um, oh, there's, you know, Barney's helping out with that. Darren Dean would talk about Barney and the work that he was doing with the, uh, the young adults group. Um, I know uh, Barney's done, done a lot around the board of trustees and there's a whole list of things. I know he's uh, also a leader in a Sunday school class and, and, He's just uh he's just always at work and always with a big smile on his face and a ton of enthusiasm and passion. So I look forward to having him share with us today and I thank you for being here. Thank you, Barney. All right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, man. When Tim asked me to make this presentation to y'all, my reaction was similar to others that what in the world could I tell? that would be of interest or value to a group of men at 7 o'clock in the morning. And then I realized that the reality is my task is to cram eight decades into 40 minutes. For you techies out there, that's five minutes a decade and 30 seconds a year. So hang on to your seats. This is basically going to be high points of those circumstances, uh, those situations, those people that have influenced the direction and outcome of my life um, and basically made me me, but highlights only. Um, and in that process, hopefully um, with some very tightly scripted uh, discussion, tell you about my life and how I feel about the church and what some of my experiences have been. Let's get some family things out of the way, just as as procedural. Um, my bride, Sandy, and I have been married for 60 years. We have three children, a daughter and two sons. We have five grandchildren, and we have two and a half great-grandchildren, a boy, a girl, and an I don't know yet. Um, and interestingly enough, my daughter, Jeannie, is a rewed to a widower with children, and Philip, my son-in-law, is a great-grandfather as well. So when you have four generations under you, it does make you feel old, (laughs) and it changes your perspective. Well, now, just who's Barney? 
And so that's what we'll focus on. Who am I and, uh, and a little bit about me. My basic influences. Um, I'm a child of the Depression. That's capital D. That was the big one. Uh, born in the front bedroom of a farmhouse on a little farm in northern Indiana, Argus, Indiana. And yes, I'm a Hoosier, just like Mike Broadhurst was uh, last week or last time. I was born into a Church of the Brethren family. Now, what that means is that I had a dozen aunts and uncles and dozens of cousins all in the church. And yes, that's the church with the prayer veils for the gals that were shorn hair, uh, flat hats for the guys, and reverse collars for the older men of the Mennonite and Amish and Moravian tradition. My grandma was German from the Pennsylvania Dutch end, and so all of the men from her family were short, stocky, and shiny bald. I escaped the shiny part, but I emphasize the short. Well, growing up as a farm kid, this was it. It was family, it was church, it was chores and work, and it was church, chores and work, church, chores and work. And occasionally, the high points were Sundays. When you went to church in the morning, and you went to church in the evening, and then you had Sunday dinner, which was the high point. Usually chicken, and usually at our house, or at my uncle's house, but definitely within the family. And usually, the preacher and his family joining for Sunday dinner. But we got to play in the afternoon, and so that was the highlight of the, of the, of the week, and usually in the barn. By now, uh, my folks had moved to a, a large farm. And we had the largest barn in Marshall County. And it was a great playground where we played hide-and-seek. We played Tarzan uh, off of the hayloft lift ropes. Uh, we played castles, which we built out of hay bales. And occasionally in the summertime, we would swim and splash in the huge cattle watering trough that we had on the farm. And that was our growing-up time. By the time we finished all of that adventure... The outcome was that, in a sense, I walked away with a set of principles. But before that happened, there was an incident that affected my life. When I was 10 years old, my brother was three years younger than I, and he died of complications of a tonsillectomy. Now, that devastated my parents, because I knew even then, Glennie, my brother, was the favorite. My dad withdrew, and my mother went to bed for two years what we know now as depression. And so that period of time, I kind of drifted. Um, and then, after two years, my sister arrived as an adopted little girl, and she quickly filled that emotional hole. But just as quickly, she became the favorite. <laughs> so you can understand my experience uh, as a child and, uh, and, and so on. Um, there was significant impact from those incidents. I was baptized soon after Glennie's death, and uh, we were full immersion guys. Uh, we were we were dunkered brethren, and I was baptized with two of my male cousins and three of my female cousins, and we were the first group to be baptized in our new church because we had all watched that old country clabbered wooden church burn one Sunday morning two years before. And our families 
rebuilt that family church. Now, later, as a teenager, I helped re rebuild our church in Plymouth, Indiana. That was the county seat and near, my, near our farm. And as a result of that, I guess I've been working in and building churches since that time. And so it has been an interesting experience. But there was one event along about then that I would have to categorize as a God event. It was soon after the baptism. And from a perspective of maturity, I do now call it a God event. Because in the middle of the night, deep asleep, I heard my name being called. Now, let me back up and give you some perspective here, because I've got to deal with the name thing. I was christened Harold Edwin, H-E, both names of which I sincerely detest as a personal thing, because I'm not a Hal, or I'm not an Eddie. But at, at that time, I was very dependent on a bicycle. And I used that bicycle as my escape mechanism to get away from that farm. And my buddies at school seeing me on that bicycle, and I confess I was a hellion on that bicycle. I was a hellion on bike. They called me Barney after Barney Oldfield, the ancient race car driver that was the fastest man alive at those times. And that name stuck. And by the third grade, everybody knew me as Barney except my parents and that generation of my family. Well, in the middle of the night, this huge foghorn voice called me, Harold. I jumped out of bed, and knowing that only my parents would call me by that name, I ran downstairs to their bedroom to find that they were asleep, and I woke them, and I got promptly told to go back to bed. I did. I went back to sleep, and Harold... I awoke. I knew it was not my father, and it happened again. Now, I would discount that probably and did for a number of years as just one of those kid bad dreams. But I think probably it does lend some understanding of why I've spent a great deal of the time of my life working in and around churches, because I may well have been running most of my life from a calling. So that's a bit of explanation for my behavior and response to church. The first 17 years that this basically accumulated to be encompassed the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean police event, the Berlin airlift, and the start of the Cold War. The impact of those years, of course, helped make me me. And there are some conclusions that I walked away from in those experiences. First, church was... And I mean that in the Yahweh sense of it is. I knew how to work. I knew how to fix stuff with what you had, which was usually bailing wire and binder twine because duct tape hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> I knew that I could survive by myself because I had. And I knew that I hated those pigs and cows, especially the cows. <laughs> and that became one of the most motivating experiences of my life. Because the only way I could get away from those wretched animals was to go to, to go to college, which was a mighty motivator for me to excel in my schoolwork, and I did. I wasn't smarter. I simply worked harder than everybody else and was ended up the valedictorian of my class and with a number of scholarships, but I also earned the big one at that time in, in my experience, 
I was granted the rector scholarship to DePaul University. The rector was at that time to undergraduate work comparable to the Rhodes in postgraduate work, and it was to DePaul University. I'll give you the clue of DePaul University. It, it was called Indiana Asbury in its original uh, origin, as it was founded by the missionary work in the educational field by the Methodist uh, movement. Until the 1990s, there was a, a bishop that headed DePaul University from the United Methodist Church. So it was my exposure first to Methodism. Now, I entered DePaul with the mandate from my mother to be a medical doctor, um, and with the gr regret of my father, who was very disappointed that I didn't go to Purdue to go get an ag agricultural degree and have lower tuitions. <laughs> the, um, the interesting thing there and the experience there was typical. Um, small town, co-ed college, 2300 uh, on, on campus, still to this day 2300 on campus. Um, a very spiritual experience, two, two chapels a week, expected attendance. And even uh, a religious tone in the academics and uh, curriculum. And that's where I learned to love to study Bible, because that Bible was mandatory. I have my original textbook Bible, which I refer to occasionally even today. Um, and so it was my first love of studying the Bible. The exposure there was also was a very compelling and uh, exciting thing that the social life on the weekends was, was co-ed. And that led to a lot of met and marrieds, with about 30 to 40 percent of the population of DePaul University walking away as met and married at some point soon, during or soon after um, matriculation. And I was one of those. While we were there, even though it was a Methodist school, Sandy and I merged her congregationalism and my Church of the Brethrenism into Presbyterianism by virtue of influence from an exciting young minister, Don Hartsoff, who baptized our daughter, who also happened in college. Don Hartsoff went on to be a noteworthy component and preacher in the Presbyterian Church on the West Coast. But that merger was a very interesting combination that we were to be basically most of our adult lives, future 40 years, being Presbyterian. I'll tell you later that being Presbyterian in the South was very handy. I'll come back and make that point. But as a result of all of that, I graduated with a four-year degree, graduated in four years, very unusual today. I graduated with a wife and a daughter. I graduated with a BA degree in science and technology, and I graduated with a job. Now, during college, I had been exposed to my first career company because along with working as a head waiter in my college, in my fraternity, uh, and I did matriculate and become a, a Delta Chi, uh, I had carried a lot of franchises on campus. I worked as, I had all the Coke machines, I had the dry cleaning, I had the sandwich concession, uh, I worked all of those as well as working at the local hamburger heaven. And after Sandy and I were married, I took a night job with my first career corporation, IBM. 
and yes, I know the IBM song. Uh, I know all of those things. And my first disappointment with a career corporation is that I didn't even get invited back after my initial interview with IBM, even though I was an employee at the time. I left that campus and went to work for my second career corporation. And you know the career corporations. They take care of you for your lifetime. You worked until you died or retired, and they just took care of everything. Well, my second experience was Dow Chemical Company, Midland, Michigan, one of the most paternalistic, IBM being the most, Dow being the second most paternalistic company of the career corporation category. Having worked with them for approximately one year, Dow had the first layoff of their 100-year experience, their 100-year history. And being first in, I was the first out in terms of the cut with a new house and a second baby on the way. Having that experience, I looked forward, and believe it or not, within a week, I had landed my next job with a career corporation, the chemical division of Borg Warner. And we were promptly transferred to Parkersburg, West Virginia, which I do not recommend for scenery. <laughs> well, I went to work there as a marketer of a product called Cycolac, an engineered plastic that is basically was at the time um, made into helmets and appliances and telephones and that sort of thing. And they taught me my industrial chemistry and they taught me my plastics. Um, and so it was interesting, and I, I ascended quickly, became the advertising manager of the, and PR director of the division, and was that for several years, and then transferred over to market development and had some fascinating um, projects that I managed, the first of which was to introduce the thermoplating, uh, the, the electroplating of thermoplastics, which is a fascinating technology of how you can introduce electric currents in a non-current-bearing substrate, which was fascinating technology. It was fun. Secondly, I led the race team for a research vehicle called the CRV, the Cyclic Research Vehicle, that was basically an all-plastic-bodied car that was uh, raced as a promotion and to influence the automobile industry for plastic use. And for those car nuts of you, uh, I'll leave up here on the table photographs of the CRV, which is an outstanding vehicle even now, 60 years later. So I'll leave that for the general amazement of the, those of you who share my passion for cars, because with that race season, I became a very, very passionate believer in automobiles. And so it's a love affair that has lasted a long time. But uh, take take a peek at the, at the CRV. Well... After that, I went to another project that was, in fact, the last project with Borg Warner because it was the introduction and test marketing of an environmental product designed and basically patented to compete with activated charcoal. It is a manufactured sorbent that was called Purifil, and it was my task to exploit some of the magic properties of this compound to control airborne contaminants. Now, while that was going on, I met the next individual that seriously and significantly impacted our lives. 
It was a funny-looking little man out of Pittsburgh who had come to our division to have us be a beta site for this uh, for a new management technique that he had created. That individual was Peter Drucker, and that management technique was called Management by Objectives, MBO. And as part of our obligation, I wrote an MBO business plan for the introduction and development of my Purifil product line that I had been working on, which was promptly shelved. But in that process, I learned about MBO. But at the same time, I found that within that corporate structure, there was an unseen uh, and kind of undiscussed but very rigid barrier. And I found out what it was. I was too young to be advancing any further up the corporate ladder. I was dead in the water with Borg Warner. So it was time to make a change. And as a result, my wife and I sat down and we wrote our MBO. We developed a life plan. And I share with you that Sandy and I, to this day, do an annual life plan. Now, I also share that at our stage, Doing end-of-life planning is kind of an oxymoron, (laughs) if you get my meaning. But the truth is, that process has impacted our life mightily. Specifically, at that time, the first two steps of that plan were, A, to relocate to a growing and challenging and interesting market. That turned out being Atlanta, because of its southeastern location, and because of the Atlanta airport. And secondly, to found a manufacturer's representative agency to rep and market the Purifil product line that I had developed with Borg Warner. So in 1967, Sandy and I relocated to Atlanta, and I founded my rep firm that was built around products that were similar, but basically specializing in that Purifil gas phase product within literally overnight. We were the outstanding and leading rep agency for Borg Warner because I was using the MBO business plan that I had developed by as, as an employee of Borg Warner. And we used that plan for our success plan for developing the introduction of that product. Uh, along that time, we literally established a rep organization that was international involving a lot of a lot of people. I've got friends literally around the world, those who are still alive, that are our previous reps of the of the Purifil agency. Um this was really going swell. I mean everything was was ballooning, we were growing, we were making money, we were having fun, we were traveling, but things changed. Now in the meantime, when we had arrived in Atlanta, we joined the Oglethorpe Presbyterian Church. And there, um, our kids had by then gotten into their teens, and we became youth leaders. Uh, both Sandy and I are ordained elders in the Presbyterian Church. She even headed a building committee. So you can see we were very involved with the church. The, the interesting thing is that, and I, I mentioned earlier, that it's convenient to be Presbyterian when you're traveling in the South with other salesmen and the like, because you can hide behind the elect thing. By that, I mean you can basically respond to that inevitable and persistent question, are you saved? 
by simply saying, I don't know, I'm Presbyterian, it's predestined. And that shuts down the conversation. <laughs> but things were going well. And and just to prove that, that things don't necessarily follow the plan, um, our previous employer, God bless Borg Warner, were in deep, dire financial straits and had to spin off anything that was not then making money. And Purifil was on that list. So therefore, I was basically vulnerable as a company to that product line and a dependable supply line. I went to my prior boss in Parkersburg with a take-or-pay contract for 100% of their offtake that would make it profitable. Instead, my boss said, no deal. But I got one of those, tell you what I'm going to do. Offers. And I walked away from that meeting owning Purifil, the patent rights, the manufacturing facility, the inventory, and all international intellectual property. And that started um, my manufacturing experience with, with Purifil. It was an interesting change of plan. And over the next few months, um, I literally, we literally moved and built a manufacturing facility in Chambly with these hands, and over the next 15 years established that as a, one of the leading contamination control products that, in a sense, had been created, and most of that time was with patent protection. And so we had, we had incentive, we had protection, um, and it was an unbelievable adventure in terms of growth um, and travel. Now, I mentioned tabletop earlier this morning. Um, we do things by electronic meetings today, but back then we had face-to-face. -face. And so we were face-to-face -face with our international representatives, and we have friends around the world as a result of that. And uh, to, to the extent that we literally had offices in Birmingham, England, and I was traveling back and forth from, uh, from Atlanta through, uh, through New York and Boston, by the Concord. And so um, it was a very interesting period. And of course, Sandy and I spent a lot of time um, in the islands because I had founded a company in, in Puerto Rico and San Juan. And so we had a lot of travel experiences. Well, it was definitely going well. Uh, on the personal side, I, I do have to mention a person of influence that has impacted Sandy and I mightily. It is Robert Shaw because Sandy is the talent of our family, and she was a founding member of the ASO, ASO Chorus and worked with Shaw for the 14 years that he conducted actively uh, in Atlanta. And that was not only just a personal experience of joy of music, we also traveled as the, as the uh, ASO Chorus did its presentations at Kennedy and Carnegie and things of that sort. Well, at the same time, I became involved with the... ASHRAE, which is the American Society of Heating and Air Conditioning Engineers, and I became a volunteer, very active, on both a local and a national level, with all sorts of activities, including research programs and standards development and that sort of thing. And I was offered a position of leadership in ASHRAE, and I became a director, uh, part of the board of directors of ASHRAE, which is a, about the second, maybe third largest engineering society in the world with 50, 60,000 members, um, a very, very important, learned, and technical society uh, in the 
arts and sciences of, of HVAC. Um, but by the mid-80s, uh, the time had come. We had grown with Purifil to the point that um, the plan required, and I had run out of ability to finance out of cash flow and my pocket and bank debt. Um, it was time for equity ownership. And so for the right reason and for the right time and for a very, very, and to save a very long and arduous story, I made a deal with the wrong people. And our angel that brought we brought into the company turned out to have come from the wrong direction and the wrong realm. Not an angel at all. And I had already committed to accept the leadership ladder of Ashray, and that was used against me uh, along with some lies and some deceit and some outright fraud that I was being forced out of the company and our ownership. Having come and, and, and coming home from uh, one of the meetings that was happening during the struggle, I had another one of those perhaps God events. At the time, I was driving an Oldsmobile Starfire, which I absolutely adored as a vehicle. It was marvelous. But as I was coming along Rivermont Road, which was very near my home in Rivermont, that car evidently had a breakage and a steerage linkage or something, but that car started going all over the road, and I left the road at a 20-foot embankment and landed upside down with that vehicle wedged between two pine trees and me hanging from the seatbelt upside down. I turned the motor off because it was still running and in gear, but I smelled gasoline. I knew I had to get out of the car. There was not one window that had been broken during that event, and no matter how hard I kicked, I could not break out a window. And then it dawned on me why I was smelling gasoline, because it was pouring into the car through the open hatchback of the car. It was a hatchback car with an open trunk. Um, I crawled out of that car with no more damage than a suit drenched with gasoline and a couple of buttons missing. And I walked home across the golf course. On that venture, I looked up and said, God, you've got my attention. What do you want me to do? And at that juncture, I accepted the inevitable. I negotiated my departure from Purifil, and I turned my back on the money, and I turned my back on 20 years of invested time in that in our company. And I say our company because Sandy was with me through the whole adventure. So it was time for a new plan. And that new plan involved writing a new venture. Well, there's a couple adventures that are still critical, and I'm running out of time. But I want to share a couple things that still influenced our lives together. The first was that I did, in fact, become uh, the president of ASHRAE in one of the most amazing adventures that you could ever imagine as a volunteer. I was a full-time president for two years of our lives, and we were literally around the world twice, traveling first class with Delta and Singapore Airlines, staying in world-class hotel, presidential suites, expenses paid. So the adventure was marvelous, and it gave me contacts. It gave me um, the credentials. It gave me the contacts for me to go to the next stage of the plan. And the next stage of the plan was deferred. Because while we were in that travel adventure, October 19th happened. You remember that? Black Monday. And the failure of the financial system overrode and caused unbelievable chaos in the financial markets. And I had 
before we left on our travels, I had left sell orders on all my portfolio as stop losses. And of course, the, the computers overran the stop losses, and our portfolio was rubble, absolute rubble. So I had to, in a sense, rethink our plan, and I worked with a colleague uh, I know through ASHRAE, became a principal uh, and a, um, a major component and a director of an engineering firm, and we built out of that uh, EDI, which exists to this day as a very successful engineering firm on IT and healthcare. I built an indoor air quality consulting firm, and that provided my cash flow and my money for regrouping, and we regrouped, and I founded my current consulting company, Building Wellness Consultancy. We survived very nicely, and as a result of that, was exposed to some marvelous adventures that then followed, because the next next significant event, and I'll remind you with the question, where were you on 9-11? I was in Washington, and I watched the Pentagon burn because I had dropped off testing equipment at CIA headquarters. I had my car with me, and I had my way home. But I was at CIA upgrading their filtration system against chem bio attacks. Talk about timing. That basically introduced me to an entirely new client base, and that client base was the alphabet soup of Washington, D.C., all the way from CDC to DARPA. And a lot of that was volunteer work, but a lot of that was was paid consultant work, even to the point I helped commission our new embassy in Abu Dhabi. So there was a tremendous adventure that, that boiled out of that. So, um, and I've short shrifted a lot of the end of that story in terms of time, but I want to leave you with some conclusions with all of that um, so that we've got some things to talk about, and I want to give you table topic time. Um, my experience here at... Um, this church was basically due to another musician, and it was Michael O'Neill, because Sandy and I heard him the first time when we were here with my son joining this church. It was his membership, not ours, that brought us to this church. And Michael O'Neill was, Sandy was so impressed with the, with the R.E.M. Sev Choir, and, and later uh, MOS, she became a member and has been a member since, now almost 20 years. And so you're listening to me today is the fault of Michael O'Neill. So I'll share that with you, and you can share that with him. But I've been basically involved in, in the church here. I'm now in my second term as trustee. I guess I didn't do it right the first time, so they're making me do it over. But I believe strongly in what's going on with our work in redeeming God's temper, temple and uh, that sort of thing. And so I urge you to buy in to Mike's vision in terms of converting the wasted debt service cost uh, into positive maintenance ability here on campus. And so I, I leave that thought with you in terms of, of your commitment to this campus. Uh, that's a great way to make it happen. But I want to make some conclusions here for you uh, because, in a sense, um, in preparing for this talk, uh, I made some assumptions of what I've learned, at least, uh, in terms of my eight decades. I learned, first, that God talks to us in some very interesting ways. So we better learn to listen, and we better learn how to respond, because it happened to me. Secondly, I learned that life is a yo-yo. What goes up will come down, but what will come down will grow back up if you make it happen. I learned, thirdly, 
that planning is essential in your life. If you don't plan, you're planning to fail. And so it's a very critical life. Um, for me, church is in the fullness of that mean. And I've shared with you there are tremendous rewards in volunteering that are basically not measured in dollars, but measured in joy. And I lastly conclude that I can, I think, faithfully say that my eight decades have been successful. And it's only because I'm measuring success not in dollars, but in adventures. It's not the money, guys. It's the moments. It's not the money. It's the memories. And Sandy and I have had one hell of a ride. God bless you all. Thank you. Your table topic is for the next few minutes, share your story in terms of things and circumstances of people who have affected your life. And walk away with that statement as well. And realize the impact on us of people and circumstances. God bless. All right, everybody, good morning. Um, I can tell, I can tell. <laughs> good, we, we had some great discussion, we had some great great engagement at our table, and a lot of people went around, so that was fantastic. Um, and if you want to continue, certainly you're more than welcome, but um, in the spirit of honor everybody's time, I do want to try and dismiss us close to the 8 o'clock hour. I think a few minutes past, so. But... Um, First of all, can we give it up for Barney for sharing today? I just love, um, I, I love coming every, uh, every month and hearing from different people and hearing different stories and different ways to tell the story and just different things that happen along the way. And, um, you know, I'm just, uh, grateful to feel like I know Barney a little bit better and, um, and, encouraged uh by his uh his story and his uh and his um i guess direction to just enjoy the journey uh along the way so um with that i'm gonna ask barney to close us in prayer thank you again barney well i'd like to challenge you to remember the table topic subject and think on those people those situations or those circumstances that affected your life. And so with that in thought, let's let's bow our heads and talk to God. Father God, we know you're here because we're gathered here in your name. We're here to share our faith, share our stories, and learn from each other. But because we know you're here, we know you talk to us. So help us listen, help us respond, and know your presence. Be with, be with us, one and every one. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. Bring us back together another time. Go now in peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.